0: Hello, Roy here. I just wanted to let you know that you can listen to The Roy Green Show ad-free on Amazon Music, included with Prime. There's been a lot of talk about vaccines and efficacy, and the mRNA vaccine is the one that's the preferable one, but how safe is it? The inventor of the mRNA technology states governments are not being open with people about the mRNA vaccine and risks associated with it. And researchers have found a link between rare cases of juvenile heart inflammation and vaccines from Pfizer and Moderna. That's, of course, mRNA. Dr. Robert Malone is the inventor of the mRNA technology. Uh, He is uh, bench to bedsides, vaccines, and biologics consulting in the United States. And uh, Dr. Malone joins us. Dr. Malone, thank you for taking the time.
1: Hi, Roy. How can I help you? Uh,
0: Your professional background makes you uniquely qualified to speak out about mRNA vaccines. So what concerns you more as the inventor of the technology? Is it uh, about possible health risks presented by mRNA vaccines or that the government's uh, by and large aren't being fully transparent with people or both?
1: Both. And I'm afraid, I really don't want to sound like a downer, but... The data keep coming in um and they're not breaking in a good way um i'd like to just forgive me uh, start by reading from a manuscript that was just published in vaccine so this is peer-reviewed came out two days ago the safety of covid19 vaccinations we should rethink the policy um, and i think that's a pretty comprehensive statement of where i'm getting to these days and i'd like to just quote uh, from uh, one of the conclusions, after analysis of a large amount of data, much of it being Dutch uh, safety data, the U.S. safety databases, is, um, even the CDC admits, is not 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 good, not high quality. So here's the conclusion. Simply put, as as we prevent three deaths by vaccination, we incur two deaths. Okay, that's a horrible risk benefit ratio, and that's for deaths. That's, we're not even talking about um, the morbidity the disease associated with it and I don't I really don't think that this is a consequence of, of the technology itself it has to do with the proteins being expressed as antigens
0: now but, you're a vaccine specialist you're a vaccine specialist and you support vaccines right
1: uh, this has been my whole life yeah but I'm I'm uh, You know, pro-transparency, pro-bioethics, pro-safety, and pro-evidence-based medicine. So uh, just uh, because I have an intrinsic conflict of interest in this, the fancy words we say, in favor of vaccines, and I do. I mean, this is my business. This is my life. Um, And this is, in a fundamental way, my technology, although I didn't design these particular vaccines. But... uh, the safety signals are accumulating and they have, there has not been transparency about that, but, and there's been suppression of any discussion about those issues, even among the scientific community. It's extremely difficult to get anything like this published. I'm, I'm uh, fascinated that it came out in, in the journal of vaccines, um, but it has, and I think that there's been a bit of a, a turning of the tide lately
0: Dr. Malone, let me ask Uh, you this. Growing awareness. Let me ask you this. We we understand the vaccines technology is experimental and that there hasn't been time to fully and critically assess the efficacy and the safety of the mRNA vaccines. I'm just a layperson here. As under normal conditions uh, would have occurred. But given where things were, with the rapid rise of infections worldwide throughout 2020, was there really another or different way to proceed with engaging in a global vaccination campaign?
1: Uh, it's not just vaccines are the only option. The other option is drugs and repurposed drugs. So, um, that's a little bit of a false dichotomy. And, uh, yes, I, so I've been through many, uh, outbreaks and I've been at the point of the spear, including the Ebola one, which was really, uh, Ebola just drives people crazy for a good reason. It's a horrible way to die. Very infectious. And, uh, there's, there's a need early in the outbreak to uh, make decisions on the fly without enough information. And uh, <clears throat> in this case, there was a strategic decision to focus on advancing and expediting these novel vaccine technologies that are based on gene therapy in lieu of focusing on more traditional vaccines and drugs and repurposed drugs. That was the decision, particularly within the U.S. government, and uh, so that's, that's what we've seen. But the, the, we're now in a different position. Um, that was then. We're now in a position where we have time and oxygen to look at the data, um, think about it, and uh, really start acting based on evidence Rather than on intuition, which is kind of what has been happening.
0: Yeah, I know that happened. your your life. Have so I direct vac- your
1: question?
0: Yeah, yeah, yeah. It does. I, mean, I ask laypersons questions. I just ask questions that matter to okay. I think most been, people. And and by the way, today yeah. is my two weeks anniversary of my second Pfizer vaccination. So I'm supposedly fully vaccinated. And I I'm still glad. I'm, I'm still glad I was vaccinated. But I, I'm very interested in what you have to say. We you, you and I have talked off the air as well. You talked about a Canadian involvement. You wanted to yeah. talk about that.
1: Yeah, So, Dr. Bridle is
0: that the the uh, university thing professor in Ontario? To? He's a university professor in Ontario. Uh, yeah.
1: Yeah. So, Dr. Bridle, um, my impression is a person of high integrity, and uh, I think he's a super example of uh, a high quality academic uh, coming out of the Canadian system.
0: And he's he challenging the, the mRNA the as well.
1: He is, and it's based on a Freedom of Information Act uh, action that he and others took because they were concerned about some of the safety signals they were hearing. And uh, what they did was they managed to spring loose a confidential document, what we call the common technical document, that Pfizer had filed with the Japanese authorities. Presumably the same document was filed with the Canadian and U.S. and European authorities. And what that revealed was despite the uh, assertions that no corners had been cut, a lot of corners had been cut. And uh, there was some data in that document that uh, he found alarming, and I independently also
0: found alarming. So I'm not aware of this of document. because I'm not aware of this yeah, document. it's
1: readily available. Yeah,
0: no, I'm just um, not
1: aware of it. And I can send it to you. Yeah,
0: please do. So uh, but, uh, let, me, let me ask you then... You invented this technology 30-odd years ago, correct? Correct. The Although I'd like, to,
1: I'd like to give a shout-out. Um, that was then, and it was a first-generation version. Mm-hmm. The current tech is largely enabled by the work of your own Dr. Peter Cullis of University of British Columbia. And he's another person who doesn't really seek the media but has done fantastic work for 40 years, and the truth is that the effectiveness, the potency of these vaccines, um, which is really high, is largely a consequence of his own breakthrough work and that of his team at UBC.
0: Okay. Dr. Malone, so, so you, but you invented the fundamentals of mRNA technology. Was what you had established and what you had created, was that compromised um, with the creation of the current vaccines? Is your sense that it was compromised?
1: No, I wouldn't put it that way. The the, the technology is what it is. Mm-hmm. This is with with vaccinology. We're always us scientists or physicians are always wrestling about: uh, Is this really the right antigen? Is this the right open reading frame? Is this the right preparation? Is this the right adjuvant? And it goes around and around. There are no perfect drugs, right? We can all agree on that. Yeah. Everything has safety issues. Yeah. And in this case, I think what we had was some decisions made on the fly in the best intentions. To use a protein that was very, very immunogenic was reasonably likely to be protective, but what wasn't really appreciated in the rush to get something out the door was that this protein also had biologic activity independent of its being an antigen, and that's the problem. Here, What we've got here, frankly, is, is a situation where it worked so good that we ended up with a lot of this protein, both from the adenoviral vectors, so that's J and J and others, and from the RNAs, that we now have, it looks like we have problems associated with the high levels of protein that are being produced, unexpectedly high, fantastically high, amazingly high. I, I couldn't have ever imagined that anything would work this well. But uh, you know, like with a lot of things, um, those types of advances come with some risks. And here, I think what we've had is inadvertently finding a situation where we're producing a protein that isn't just an antigen. And I think that there's pretty strong indication that that protein is causing blood clotting, the cardiac uh, swelling, and a number of the other things that are uh, contributing right. to these, this surprisingly high death rate. And it's an easy fix. Number one, we can drop the dose. Number two, we can go to just one dose instead of two. Most of the adverse events are happening in the second dose. Number three, we can um, uh, re-engineer these vaccines so that the biologic activity associated with spike is knocked out. There's a bunch of things we can do. This is not, holy moly, this is the end
0: of the world and we're
1: all going to die. Dr.
0: Malone, Um, I have to stop you you there just because we're out of time.